All right. Well, welcome. <laughs> Once again, uh, all visitors and everyone, and I won't run back through. I think some of you maybe heard what I said. Uh, some of you hopefully, uh, or all of you did, but just want to say thank you and I'm so glad that uh, you are here this morning. And um, as we turn now to God's word, I would like to take a moment for us to, to pray and ask him to bless the time we have uh, going to God's word. Father, we thank you, Lord, indeed. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the anchor of our souls. Even as the storms come and and the storms go, you are at work. You are uh, growing us. You are transforming us. You are changing us. And, And that will rise up to praise your name and to glorify you. And that is just right. And we, we rejoice at that. Um, we, even as James, you know, we count it all joy, uh, as we face various trials, uh, because we know that you are at work in us, oh Lord. And we thank you. And we come this morning and we just say, we trust you, Lord. You are God. And Father, we thank, thank you as well. I know I personally thank you for this second Sunday. Uh, that uh, I'm able to be here and my family is able to be here together uh, to uh, serve Haven. And, and we come and just thankful, uh, recognizing your hand and, and bringing us here. Uh, thank you for just the, the many who have blessed us already uh, as we've been here. And, and we just look forward to seeing what you're going to do. And, and we want to see you do much uh, for your glory. And so we ask that, Father. We pray that your spirit would work this morning. We pray for grace to hear your word. Pray for grace in the midst of all the people here this morning. And, and they come uh, from perhaps good weeks. Uh, others have come from not so good weeks. And you know you know where they are. You know their hearts. You know their troubles. Uh, and you know them. And we ask that you would uh, be with them this morning. And give us all grace as one to hear your word and to hear it and meaning to respond to it. Not simply that we would hear it and go away and do nothing, but that would be wrong. And so, Father, we ask for your help. Uh, we also pray, Lord, in light of this, this hurricane and all the damage that's come from it. We pray for those who have been affected by this hurricane and just ask for your hand upon the people there, and we ask for uh, grace even that in some way that we could, uh, even in small ways in giving to it, that we could uh, help them there. And so, Father, as we turn then to your word now, we ask for your hand, your grace, and your spirit to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, imagine one day you are driving along and you're getting ready to drive over a bridge. So let's say, you know, it's a famous bridge, maybe, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge or the Golden Gate Bridge. And as you're driving over it, you know, or at least getting close to it, because uh, so you're able to see it uh, and see the columns on it. Now, as you approach the bridge, you see something startling. The bridge's columns that support the bridge, are cracked. And they're not just cracked, 
you can actually see that they are cracking. Like, as in, this bridge does not look like it's going to hold up for much longer. It's getting ready to fall. So let me ask you, now at this point, you still have a good amount of time before you cross this bridge, so you can make a decision. Would you, at this point, cross over the bridge? Well, I think most of us would reasonably say no. (laughs) Because among other reasons, foundations matter. If you get the foundations wrong, or if there is something wrong with the foundations, you can rightly anticipate trouble. And in this case, great disaster even to follow. Well, this morning we come to a foundational passage. And it's foundational to our lives as followers of Christ, to the aims and the goals and the trajectory of Christ's church, and it is foundational, really, for much of all we do in both, for our lives and for our churches. And so, just like the bridge, my goodness, this passage is important and even absolutely necessary and needed for us as the body of Christ to take to heart in such a way that if this foundation is moved, the church loses its vision, its mission, and its direction. The bridge crumbles. Well, that passage is that of the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28. As you can see there, if you have your bulletins, is listed as well. So this is a foundational passage indeed. But my, oh my, how often we need to continually go to it and keep going back to it. So here, in Matthew 28, what we are given is we are given our charge. We're given our assignment, our mission as Christ's Church. So it gives here this central charge. So with Christ, with King Jesus with us and before us, let us make the Great Commission our mission. And that is foundational, right? And may it be that these foundations not crumble. And so then let's Turn to God's Word and read then God's inspired words here from Matthew 28. And even as I read, ready yourselves to hear the Word of God and receive His words as you hear them. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Now, as I began this week and 
you know, spending time studying this passage and chewing on this passage and just thinking about all the things that, you know, this passage says. I mean, it obviously says much uh, for us. I mean, books have been written on it. Volumes have been written on it about discipleship, about missions, about worship, and so on and so on. But one thing I couldn't help but notice that this passage it begins with is is really how it begins with a twinge of sadness. I don't know if you saw it like I did, but here it says, note at the beginning, now the eleven disciples. Eleven. Judas is no longer among the twelve. He went out from them because he was not really of them. Hence we see, really as something of an aside from this central thrust that we saw over just a minute ago, we see the sad reality here of apostasy. So this is not Matthew's major point here, but it is notable. Judas is not there. And that's, that's sad. I mean, that is even, even shocking in many ways. It's shocking because by all appearances, you know, what, what did Judas seem like? He seemed like he was authentic, right? I mean, think about what, what he was, and, and even if you saw someone who looked like him, he would look authentic. I mean, he followed Jesus wherever he went. He fellowshiped with other followers of Christ. He proclaimed the kingdom of God even. So he preached. And by all appearances, you know, he seemed sincere such that even the disciples, they, they could not tell the difference between him and them. It was even surprising. And Judas is the one. So all this should make us pause. You know, it's sad but true, but there will be, there will be those who seem to be followers of Christ, but in reality they are not. They do not continue. They do not remain. And they do not endure to the end. A number of years ago, while I was a youth intern at home, my home church in, in Oklahoma, uh, the youth pastor and I, we had been sharing the gospel with one of the youth there. And, you know, we, we had spent much time with him. You know, we met with him. We had lunch with him. And he came to, you know, various church activities that we had and, and many of our services and, and different things that we had did. And after all this, he, he professed Christ. You know, and he was baptized. And, and we were glad and we were so thankful to see him turn and he he had had a hard life before this he had been getting in fights at school and even in gangs and other things like that and so he he began sharing his testimony with the youth and he was he was serving in the body as well but over the course of time he made a drastic turn he stopped coming to church he got in a relationship. He got a girl pregnant. He went to jail again and again. And we pursued him. 
I remember going to his, his apartment, not once, but many times. And he would not return. He was gone. He went out from us. Recently, a very notable Christian leader has done the same thing as well. You may have read his books. I know I have. I read them when I was younger, and they were deeply impactful for me, even in, in the relationship I have, have had then with my uh, future wife, Megan, uh, and how God used that for me. But Joshua Harris, he wrote uh, the Christian book, you know, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and he was a pastor of a church for 11 years, and he had significant widespread influence, and I mean that, he did. I mean, his book was read by many, and so was his sequel. But only in the last two months, he has renounced the faith, and he has separated from his wife. He wrote on Instagram, by all the measures that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. He went out from us. What do we do? As sad as this is, you may have someone you know, a family member, someone who has done the same, a friend, neighbor, Someone who used to be here. Well, I don't think we give up on them, do we? We pray for him. We pray for them. We pray for, like Joshua Harris, we pray for his wife. We pray for others like him. But this here is a call for us to consider ourselves honestly as well. This is not about me being up here trying to create doubt in you, but it is about asking the question, is your hope presently Jesus Christ? Do you know Him? And so this is this is God calling us to do away with hiding. It is not simply about being a good Christian in the way of, I have my good Christian mask on, but one day, when we come before the Lord, He says, I never knew you. It is not about hiding. It is God's call for us to come clean. It's His call to come to Him who can save, and He can save you to the uttermost. And so perhaps these examples, maybe they describe you. Jesus, he's gently saying to you now, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and be saved. Come to me and I will keep you even to the very end. No one will snatch you out of the Father's hand. And so we need to come and consider ourselves Honestly, but as now we continue in these verses, as you read through Matthew's gospel, one point that, you know, becomes clearer and clearer is this truth of who Jesus is. So Matthew, he is making it plain to a Jewish 
audience that he is the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah. And so it becomes plain then that Jesus is the king over all. So Jesus comes as the fulfillment here of Daniel's words in Daniel 7.14 it's that speak of a kingdom that will not falter, a kingdom that will never cease, a kingdom that will endure without end. And so this is what Daniel writes. He writes in 7.13, he says, I, now I saw in the night visions and beheld with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now that, that sounds familiar, it should. Because <laughs> we just read words here in the commission from Matthew that were calling us to remember those words. So in Matthew's gospel, again and again, he emphasizes this coming kingdom. So if you remember at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, what did he begin by proclaiming? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Daniel 7 is coming about. So he is our king. Now on a mountain like Moses, on Mount Sinai, this king, he comes declaring his kingdom and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here he is. Our king has come. But this is not merely a human king. But this is Jesus, fully God and fully man. This is him who is worthy of our worship. And this is what they did, right? And when they saw him, they worshipped him. They bowed knees made by God for God, that were meant to be bowed in worship only before God alone. So earlier in Matthew, if you remember, what did the devil come and do to Jesus? He came and he came and tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And what did Jesus say to him? And from quoting from Deuteronomy, he said that God and God alone was to be worshipped. But here, Jesus does not correct them, does he? Jesus does not tell his disciples, he does not say, hey, don't do that, hey, get up, what are you doing? I'm not God, you should not be bowing to me. No, he does not do that. Instead, he receives worship because he is worthy of our worship. In your worship and my worship because he is our God and he is our king. Above any king, above any president, above any emperor. And so here at Haven, our vision for worship is to have Christ and submission to Christ and his word at its center. 
And so this vision sets before us a superior affection, a superior desire, a superior treasure that far surpasses anything that this world can offer you or offer us. And so it is then that with this king, when we see him as our king, it is then that this king who then he comes and he now turns to give his commission. So presently there are around 26 monarchs or kings throughout the world. You know, they each have various degrees of authority over a limited amount of people, over a limited geographic area. Now, Jesus, though, does not come with some authority. But he comes with all authority. He doesn't come with authority over some, but he comes with authority over all, spanning all heaven and all the earth. This is the one who comes to give us his commission, and his commission is this. As followers of Jesus, make followers of Jesus. So at the center of this commission is this imperative. Make disciples. And so he bids us come, and after coming, he bids us follow. And as his followers, he then tells us to go. And he does this, and he tells us this as our Lord and not as our judge. So there's a difference. So if you're, if you're talking about someone dre- dreadful like, you know, Joseph Stalin or like Mao Zedong, you'd be right to think that they're not thinking of you when they give you some sort of command. They're not thinking of you in your joy when they tell you to do something. They are, in fact, actually probably trying to destroy you or kill you or lead harm to you for their own good. But this is not so with our Savior. He is king, but he is our king. His command is good as he is good, and he commands and goes with us in the doing of it. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, he tells us. So we have this good commission from our good Savior and church. Let me urge us to take it up. I mean, without reservation, let us say we are going to be about making disciples. We are followers of Christ who want to make followers of Christ. Let us follow Him and obey our good Lord because it is a good commission. And so we do this first though by We make disciples first by going to the lost. So all around us, people, they are broken. They are lost. And remind you, you know, as you once were, as I once was. And may we never set aside or forget that Jesus came for them the same way that he's came for you. And outside of him coming for you, this building would be empty. I would not be up here. We would not have tasted and seen the Lord is good and his grace. 
So as you were in desperate need of mercy, so also there are multitudes who are also desperately in need of this drink. Instead, for them, what they have is darkness and guilt as their daily portion. They eat food that never satisfies. They work at jobs that buy treasures that won't last and, and are becoming moth-eaten. They go home to families that are lost and broken as well. They are moms, they are dads, they are sons, they are daughters, they are grandsons, they are granddaughters, they are married, they are unmarried, they are rich, they are poor, they are healthy, they are sick, they are known, they are unknown, they are young and they are old and they are even now in need of Him and they are in need of mercy. Let me ask you, we want to respond to the word of God. Who is one person among them that you will seek to reach for Christ? Just one. Write their names down. Pray for them. Talk with them. Go to lunch with them. Get to know them. And then seek to share Christ with them. Next, Jesus, he continues his commission. So following faith in Christ, we are called to make disciples by baptizing them. So after they come to faith, we baptize them. So, you know, a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of, you know, baptizing our oldest son right there. Isaiah, that's right. Over many months and even years of praying for him, of sharing the gospel with him, of sitting down together as a family and leading our family in the word, God, he worked in his heart and he trusted Christ. And then, as a follower of Christ, he listened to the call of his master and his king. And what did he do? He was baptized. He was declaring, I am a follower of Jesus. And with baptism, then, we have the first step of obedience as as Christians. So it is a picture of your death, your burial, and resurrection into new life in Christ. And maybe you're here and you haven't been baptized. You know, maybe you're not a member of a body of believers. Well, then, it's time that you declare your allegiance to him. And this may be an intimidating thing. But it's really a glad announcement, a happy declaration, a joyful proclamation, even of the gospel, that you know Him and are declaring it and are even bearing witness for all that they may turn to Christ as well. And so, he continues with the commission. We make disciples also not to be redundant here, but by discipling them. And this means we help fellow believers follow Jesus. So this is not primarily about learning more about Jesus, though that's part of it. There are some who know plenty but do little. This is about knowing and following Jesus. It's about learning and observing, right? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you And so what does this look like practically? Well, we direct them to the master. And together we seek to follow 
him. It's about coming alongside someone or taking a, a small group of people and begin meeting together to get into the Word, to get into a solid Christian book, or to walk through the ABCs of the Christian life. So discipleship is not about, you know, being superior than someone else. It's not about getting people to follow you, right? It's about helping someone and even each other follow Jesus and spurring each other on to follow him. And so, two questions here then, in light of this call to make disciples. Is there someone you know who needs to be discipled? A person who knows Christ, and they need someone to come alongside them and help them to learn what it means to follow Jesus. Well, maybe time that you go to them and say, hey, brother, sister, do you need to be discipled? And again, this is not about you saying, you know, I am better than you. It's about, I'm called, you know, we're called to fill this great commission and make disciples and, and be discipled. And so I want to do that and I want to come alongside you if you're willing and let's do that together. Second question. Do you need to be discipled? Maybe you haven't had someone walk with you through what the Christian life really is all about and what it means to follow Jesus. Well then, brother, sister, go to a mature brother or sister you know and ask them if they would come alongside you and disciple you. And so here, the king has given us Our commission. Our mission. The vision. So we are to be then a worshiping, discipling, gospel sharing people because our king has given us our orders. So servants and soldiers of Christ arise, let us go and let us do it. And let us do it all as those with their king with them and with their king who goes before them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for sending your son, our king. And now we have heard his commission. And I I know this passage is perhaps very familiar to many in this room. But may we take it up. And may we do it. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here who has not yet trusted Christ, as they've examined themselves honestly, they have seen, uh, they do not know you. They do not know Jesus. And they have not trusted Jesus. They have not turned away from sin and self and trusted Christ. I pray today that you would Work and lead them to yourself. And even now they would put their faith in you. Father, I pray as well, if there's anyone here who uh, has not been baptized or is not a member, that they would consider their call to declare their allegiance to Christ. And that's a good and glad thing. And may you help us, Lord as a church and as a body, with these three themes and pictures put before us, worship, mission, 
discipleship. May we go and live this out. May we go and integrate this into every aspect of our church and the body. And may we be about your kingdom because you are our king and may we follow you and may you help us, we pray. And we know that you have said you will help us and you are with us. And so we look to you, we pray as we have sing this song and celebrate the supper here in a minute that you would help during this time that anyone that needs to respond would respond, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.